0: Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. We are a community that doesn't pretend to have all the answers, but aims to have all the hope that you could ever need. We pray that this message is helpful and encourages you, no matter what season of life you're in. Enjoy this week's message. So, it's complicated, part one. I want to I start with the very simple statement that relationships are complicated because people are complicated. Let me start this way. You are a complicated mess. <laughs> You're welcome. It's a beautiful way to start it, But I say it because we all are, right? We all are. Check out this next picture on the screen. There's been this guy, Jimmy Reese over the last few months who has just gone absolutely viral with these videos. (laughs) Point of view, POV, point of view, you're a primary teacher, you're from Brisbane, you're a Gen X, you're a boomer, you're from Adelaide. I don't know if you've seen the one, you're from Canberra, but I personally felt attacked. (laughs) And for me, what this paints a picture of, the fact that this has gone so viral in the way that it has is number one, Jimmy Reese is hilarious and incredibly talented, but number two, we all have incredibly unique characteristics and makeups that make us the complicated, beautiful messes that we are. And particularly over the last three years, I don't know if you've noticed, maybe things are, you know, I dare say, things have perhaps even gotten more complicated. Or maybe just complicated in a different way. I don't know, I don't know what you've watched online, in your workplace, in your home over the last three years. But it's been interesting to see the rise of, it's not only the person in front of me that I'm making my mind up about. But if they hold a particular view or opinion on any one of a few hot topics that we're all talking about on Facebook right now, then I know all about them, and they're good or they're not. And that's it. Mm -hmm. The way that we relate to one another has perhaps become even more divisive than ever before. It's both close in proximity, in our personal relationships. I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen workplaces where colleagues enjoyed working with one another, not that long ago, become completely divided over things that we didn't even really care about a few years ago. The opinions that people have held have allowed us to get to the point where we're almost more concerned with what they think about X, Y, Z than the person the complicated, beautiful mess that's standing right in front of us, that we would hope we could take the time to try and understand. It would seem that differing opinions have become almost irreconcilable <coughs> in some relationships. I don't know whether you've experienced this in your own home either. If you've been on Facebook for any time, You've probably watched it in that space. But while I'm suggesting that life has gotten more complicated, I'm not at all suggesting that it wasn't complicated before. And of course, we're going to take a look over the next few weeks as we consider not only this isn't just a series about like you know romantic relationships or relationships with our fathers, it's about all of our different relationships. And we're gonna take some time to unpack some specific different ones. But as we kick off today, I just want to make this point. If you've studied, if you've even read a few verses of the Gospels before, you would know that Jesus was a master of navigating relationships. He could go from speaking to the most isolated and marginalized, to the most intellectually cunning religious experts of the day, without even missing a beat. There is something to pay attention to in the way that Jesus did it, as I hope you will see as we study his life together and get started this morning. But it's important to consider the environment in which Jesus was operating too. Our lives are of course complicated. We've made that point. Jimmy Reese helps us to try and make some sense of it. But you go back to the day when Jesus was walking the earth and. I'm I'm not really sure it was any less complicated. For one, you have Roman occupation, so you were kind of paying taxes to a a Roman empire that you didn't even really want around, and there was no real kind of like ATO website to check if they were taxing you correctly. It was just kind of what they felt on the day. And more than that, you could have a Roman centurion kind of turn up and say, hey, you need to carry this bag for me for the next two miles, because I need you to. And you just had to say yes. Worse than that, if a Roman soldier decided he'd have enough of you, That was just probably it. And there was nothing anyone could probably say much about it. So take Roman occupation. That's complicated enough, right? That's an interesting enough scenario to live in. But then take the fact that Jesus was a Jewish man. Take the Jewish faith. In the Torah, in the the Jewish scriptures, there are 613 laws. That you were supposed to follow to the letter in order to not only be in right relationship with those around you, but most importantly, with God above. You see, the people of Israel, in the, in the narrative of the Old Testament, if you've ever delved into that for yourself, the people of Israel had been chosen as, as God's people, the people who were supposed to demonstrate the way that we were supposed to live, when things weren't supposed to be so complicated. And so 613 laws seems to be the marching orders of the day to try and get us fickle humans to try and behave in somewhat semblance to this. But, of course, you've probably heard the ugly word before that keeps popping up right throughout the whole biblical narrative and, in fact, in Christianity today. And it may be, let me make this point before I move on. It may be this that's caused you to hesitate on whether the Christian faith is right for you. You might be in the room this morning or listening online later. Maybe it's just seemed so complicated, so unrealistic for you to participate in that you just set it to the side. It's not that I'm not enamored with the person of Jesus, but it just seems way too complicated. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this morning to help us uncomplicate it just a little bit as we get started. Particularly around the way that Jesus would have us interact in our relationships. 613 laws and still this word sin was so much a part of the life of the Jewish people. And again, maybe that's a word that scared you away from the Christian faith, but the way that they were using it was anyone who could keep up with the 613 laws and to be honest, that that puts me in the category. (laughs) It's a scary word but it just means that we don't get things right the way God intended and despite the complication of his day Jesus was the best despite the fact that there were 613 laws that he was trying to follow as well as the rest of the Israelite people under Roman occupation when famine could come up at any time when disease could come through and there wasn't much anyone could do about it and yet they were trying to live up to the standard of these 613 laws in the Torah and then Jesus turns up and flips things on their head. As I said, Jesus constantly found himself in different environments with a variety of different people and he was the master of knowing not only how to respond correctly or morally but if you've picked up on the character of Jesus throughout the Gospels actually he's quite witty as well. He seemed to always know how to respond No matter who he was facing, it could be that he was dignifying like the socialized and the margin of their day. Women of all social statuses, Jesus drew unto himself and gave dignity. One of the most dishonored and most socially outcast of all, children. Jesus didn't say, get out of the way so I can talk to the adults. He said, let the children come to me, you should be more like them. Right up to the point where we find Jesus talking to the religious experts of the day. And in every moment, in every interaction, he always seemed to know how to respond and how to honour the relationship. I'm not suggesting we're going to get this right, because I'm going to teach some scriptures and it's going to be 25 minutes every couple of weeks and we're all going to have it perfect. It's not like that. But there are some things that we can take from the life of Jesus that are certainly going to help us on the journey. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most, in fact, the most well-known sermon or teaching of Jesus. It's the largest recorded amount of teaching that we have of Jesus in one block, and we find it in a couple of the Gospels. Matthew, the first Gospel of the four, he was there and he was taking notes. And in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, we find Jesus teaching this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. And first, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now there's a lot of context here, so humor me for a second so that I can catch us up the speed just a little bit. I mentioned that this idea of sin kept coming up for the people as they tried to follow the 613 Torah laws. The system that they had developed in order to try and get themselves out of the mess they constantly found themselves in, sound familiar, was this idea of sacrifice. They would go, they would travel to Jerusalem, to the temple, and then they would sacrifice something. Now, that, you know, if you lived in the Jerusalem area, like I went, I'm not talking about trying to travel from the south to the north of Canberra here. I'm talking like, if you were in the Jerusalem area, that was all good, but for Jesus coming from Galilee, that, that's like a three-day walk. Not to mention you might be bringing your little turtle dove or your heifer to sacrifice with you. You've got the kids with you, you've got the family with you. It's a three-day walk, it's hot, it's the Middle East. It's busy at the temple, you can imagine. Well, perhaps we can't. We're a long way removed from that kind of environment. It was expensive to travel for three days to go and make your sacrifice to try and separate yourself from the sin and be in right relationship with both God and others once again. And here we find Jesus talking about what was considered one of the most, if not the most, important thing that if you were a follower of the Jewish faith, this was your system for getting right with your God. This is significant, right? This is one of the most important practices in your entire life existence and here we find Jesus addressing it and what does he say what does he say he says first go and get right with your brother or sister did you catch that before before you worry about getting right with God first Jesus says and it's not convenient <laughs> you walked for 3 days with the kid and the cow and I don't think they're going to be saving your spot in line if you go back home and have to come back to line up the next day. <coughs> and Jesus says, first, how's a relationship with your boss? Your mum? That mate? Because I want you to deal with that first in order for you to be able to be properly reconciled to God. But as so often Jesus did, he didn't just give us something to believe, he gave us something actionable, something to do. In the very same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, but found in Luke's Gospel, so same sermon, different notes to look at from what Jesus taught. In chapter 6 we find a verse that you will be incredibly familiar with, I would guess. The golden rule, as it were. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Yeah. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And all of a sudden, the picture of the reconciliation with your close friend or sibling or whatever it is, before you can even imagine getting right with God, that those two are related, begins to make sense. Because what would you want? It's easy to look at this and the familiarity of it puts us in danger of perhaps brushing over it. But if we unpack what Jesus is insinuating here, it's really quite revolutionary. Because it's easy, right? It's easy when I'm thinking about, like us so just say someone's you know, short with me or grumpy with me. Well, that's easy. I know why. Because they're mean. <laughs> But if I'm a little short with you or grumpy with you, oh no, it's because I've had a bad day and a bad sleep. And Liverpool have only won two games so far There's an explanation, right? I want you to take a little bit of time and get to know what's going on with me. But if you're grumpy or short with me, you're just me. Mm-hmm. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's quite possible, it's fascinating actually that Jesus was probably influenced by one of the most well-known Jewish rabbis of all time who lived during the first century BC. His name was Hillel the Elder. And there's a fascinating story with this man. Hillel was known for his understanding of being able to read Torah, the 613 laws and the rest, and be able to expound it, to teach it, to live it in a really amazing way. The Jewish people looked to this guy as kind of like the maestro. And so there's this famous story of Hillel, which is kind of into Jewish folklore even to this day, where a young man who's been troubling all of the rabbis comes up to Hillel and he hits him with the same question he'd been using on all the rabbis to this point. All of the others had just told him to get lost. The question was, I'm going to stand on one foot, and in the time I can stand here, I want you to explain the whole Torah to me while well, I'm standing here on my one foot. All 613 laws and the rest. Explain to me while I'm here on one foot. And if you can't do that, I'm not interested in the Jewish faith. I'm hitting the road. So this man was not a Jew himself. He was someone considering the Jewish faith. And listen to Hillel's response to this man. The first time this, this guy had been given an answer to his funny question. Hillel said, That which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow." That is the entire Torah. The rest is commentary. Now get off your one foot and get out of here. <laughs> and go study. It's quite possible Jesus was influenced by the teaching of this remarkable rabbi. The whole Torah and the rest is commentary. It's kind of like the negative inversion, right? Before Jesus taught. Do to others as you would have them do to you which as we've already unpacked is fine in theory but much 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 more difficult in practice and the problem is jesus is not just talking about those we get along with if it stopped there maybe we'd have a chance but he goes on in 632 if you love those who love you what credit is that to you Even sinners love those who love them. You know where this is going, right? Jesus, come on, man. (laughs) And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. And here it comes. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. This isn't necessarily the emphasis of today's message, the whole idea of enemy love. Because frankly, let's, let's build up to it. It's a little early to so just go straight there in week one, right? But it is important to pause on that point. Because over the 2,000 years that we've had the teachings of Jesus, this is the point that historians, academics, everyday folk like me, keep coming back to. Love your who? (laughs) What? Love your enemies. Yeah. If you live in, you know, Roman-occupied Jerusalem, it's interesting to think about what that would mean. That would be easy, right? So it's like the, it's the guy with the spear and the pack who made me carry it yesterday, and he's threatening to stab me tomorrow. Like, that's it. That's, it. that's it. But it's interesting to think about it today. As we explore, our opinions have become so divisive. This idea of cancelling people. Of not even hearing them out. Because they hold a view about something that's different to what you hold a view on. As if the person in front of you doesn't even. The reason that we continuously come back to this, because it's fine to theorize or philosophize, if that's even a word, about this concept of love your own. You can see why that would make society work. But if everyone just loved one another, okay, we're getting hippie and utopia here, right? But the thing is, Jesus didn't just theorize nor just imagine. Jesus lived this out in the most remarkable way possible. By submitting to those who wanted him dead and allowing them to carry out their will against him. He lived it out to the letter in choosing to let himself be taken to the cross All in the name of dying on behalf of all of those who would call him. Including the Roman centurion there overseeing the execution. (laughs) Including the criminal executed on the very same day. Including those who he had different opinions from. His enemies. Jesus didn't just theorize about this idea. He didn't just say it's a good idea that's going to make Things work better. He actually did it. And yeah. that's why I think it's so important that you and I pay attention to this man 2,000 years later. Because it's easy to come up with nice ideas. It's hard to follow something through. Especially when it's that complicated. Not just a good theory. It's something that Jesus actually lived out. But to kind of where I want to land today. To the point where I kind of want to land part one of this conversation As I said, there is so, we're all complicated messes, we started there, we'll finish there It's not just going to be finished in one week, there's more to do But, to where I just want to start us today I want to suggest that it's the gap, coming back to the golden rule Between our expectation of how someone will treat us And what we actually experience That is the challenge We know how we would like to be treated, our expectation, but when our experience of that does not match up, that is where we find ourselves in danger, that gap between expectation and experience. When a spouse has not washed the dishes the way you would expect them to, when you have expected them to, what do you fill in the gap? between the expectation that they were done and the experience that they were not. When a boss calls you into the office, what are you expecting? Give room for what might actually be about to happen. For Eleanor and I, it's been a fascinating few months as we've gone through the first time selling a house. And there's a lot of people telling you a lot of things and how often they're gonna report back to you and how quick it'll be sold. And those things don't happen. And if, you know, the expectation doesn't match the experience, it would be easy, and I'll admit it, I stuffed that at times, easy to become really anxious, and unsure, and angry, and call the agent, and give him a mouthful, and call the conveyancer. and use it. And there's this anxiousness, this frustration that boils up in that gap between the expectation of what I thought was gonna happen and the reality of what I'm actually experiencing. But in the moments where I could remember, take a deep breath. And consider what would I expect in return if I was on the other end of this. What would I hope would be in the gap? Well, as I said, if you're short and grumpy, you're mean. But if I'm short and grumpy, then I've just had a tough day. Could we do that the other way around? When your friend is running late, is it because they're disorganised? Maybe their dog literally ate their homework, What we put into the gap between the expectation that we have and the experience that we actually have in reality is going to have a lot of influence on our relationships and the way that they function. All this is is putting legs on the teaching that Jesus has given us. Do to others what you would have them do to you. So here's my suggestion, here's what I would suggest that we put in the gap, and I want to challenge you to do it this week. Choose trust over suspicion. When the gap comes and someone's actions don't match up with what you thought you deserved, rather than becoming anxious, frustrated, suspicious. Would we be so bold as to fill it with trust? Well, first of all, we would hope to have that, right? We would hope that a spouse, a boss, a colleague, a friend, in our moments where we're not so perfect, would instill trust over suspicion. I I said put it into practice this week. In reality, I should have just said put it into practice on the drive home. That's probably where it's going to first come up. Would we be bold enough to choose trust over suspicion? Why, like, there's danger in it, right? It's not easy, and perhaps you've been hurt before and you're like, that's a stupid idea. I agree. (laughs) In some ways, you're exactly right. Choosing to trust over suspicion puts us in somewhat of a vulnerable state, puts us in a position where we could get hurt. But do you want to live suspiciously, and more importantly, Especially if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus. Or you're interested in trying to follow the way of Jesus. This is why it's important. In Luke 6, second half of verse 35 and 36. Then your reward will be great. Yeah. And you will be children of the Most High. And here it is. Because. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Merciful. Merciful? Mercifully. Trust over suspicion. Could you get hurt? Yes. Why is it still worth it? Because our Heavenly Father demonstrates it for us. And Jesus lived it out. And offers to us to do the same. So here's my question as we go into the week: Who that you love, like I said, I don't even want to start with our enemies. We can, you can, if if you want the advanced level, you go for it. Let's just start here though. Who that you love needs you to give them trust over suspicion. Fill the gap with trust. Will you get hurt? Probably. Better than being suspicious, and it is after all with our Father. Did for us. If we can put this into practice, it might just make our relationships a little less complicated. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I'll pray as we close. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just theorize this golden rule that we find so hard to follow, but you lifted it out to the absolute perfection. Lord, for every family represented here, for every individual in this room and catching this later on online, I just pray that we would again be stirred, first of all, by the way you've demonstrated this for us, by the way that you have done it for us. Because if we focus on us trying to get it right, we're going to be disappointed. But when we look at the example that you set for us, Jesus, we are just, I am just blown away. Holy Spirit, this is so hard to get right, and I invite you to just fill each of our lives as we move into this new week. Helping us to, in those moments of gap between expectation and experience, instead, fill them with trust. Not because we have the strength to do so, but Heavenly Father, because you demonstrated it for us, and you've invited us to do the same through your strength inside us. Thanks again for joining us for this week's message. We hope it was helpful to you and practical for your life. Ultimately, we pray that this inspired you to consider taking a next step in your relationship with Jesus, whatever that may look like for you. If that's something you would like to do, we would encourage you to get in touch with us via the details in the podcast description. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.